Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. This is part three of sharing your faith with those with whom you disagree, and especially sharing your faith with those who are kind of on the totally opposite spectrum as to where you find yourself. Well, Wesley Hill writes movingly about growing up in a Christian home. He was taught biblical values and a biblical view of sexuality. And yet he writes, confusingly, I found myself, just when all my friends were beginning to notice girls, becoming interested in dating and and having longings to be in a relationship with a member of my own sex instead of a member of the opposite sex. He says, after receiving wise and loving guidance from Christian mentors, Hill writes, as I discovered more about Christianity's historic teaching, I found myself convinced of the position which the church has held throughout the ages, that although many people find themselves, and maybe through no fault of their own, to have sexual desires for members of their own sex, this is not something to be affirmed and celebrated. Rather, it is a sign that we are broken, that we are in need of redemption, of recreation. Gay people are not uniquely broken. That's a position we share with every other human who has ever lived or will ever live. But we are, he says, nonetheless broken. The following of Jesus means turning our backs on the life of sexual sin, just as it does for every other Christian. And he offers this advice to others who struggle with same-sex attraction. If you're somebody who is living with homosexual feelings, the message of Jesus to you is not primarily no to your deepest hunger. I do not believe that discipleship to him entails giving up gay sex and gay relationships. And that may be more painful than you can imagine. You get what he's saying? He says, that's what it's going to cost you to give up that lifestyle. You know, when we all come to Christ, we give up something. But ultimately, Jesus is offering you the kingdom. He's offering you eternal life. He is offering for you himself in the gospel. Sacrificing your sexual freedom may seem like a high price to pay. And it is a high price to pay. But he promises you a joy so stunningly great that if you felt the full weight of it now, you would literally come undone. The joy of being a follower of Christ. You know, I find that I'm inadequate in being able to give words to the joy that we have in becoming a follower of Christ. So when you're sharing the good news of the gospel, what does the Bible say in regards to sharing the faith, sharing the gospel with those to whom disagree with us? Well, number one, we learned that no matter what the identity of a person is, uh, that individual was created in the image of God. So God created humankind. In his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Finding my identity in Christ, because I'm created in his image, is where I can find joy. But really, when you look at it, sin messed up that image. Sin caused me to put down others because of the sin that I'm experiencing. But it doesn't change the fact that I was created by God. David says, you created my innermost being You knit me together in my mother's womb. We learned, secondly, that along with understanding we were created in God's image, we must, as followers of Christ, 
Stand firm in the faith. Don't get discouraged when you see bad things happening. I was listening to a broadcast today, and I was talking about how so many pastors are discouraged coming out of the pandemic and, and all that the culture is experiencing and decline in church attendance, decline oftentimes in giving and decline in people being committed to serving the Lord. It can be mighty discouraging. As a matter of fact, uh, according to this broadcast, 42% of pastors have considered quitting and giving up. Unfortunately, a lot of them can't do anything else, right? Because they've spent their whole life preparing for ministry and learning ministry. So pray for your pastors. Pray that they'll stand firm in their faith. You know, I pray that for my congregation, that they'll be firm in their faith. Paul tells us to stand firm. How do we stand firm? Well, we got to have that belt of truth buckled around our waist. We've got to have that breastplate of righteousness in place. We've got to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then we've got to have that shield of faith, which can extinguish all of those flaming arrows that the enemy will shoot at us. And don't forget that helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon when it comes to the armor of God. That is the Word of God. And then he says, pray. How do we pray? In the Spirit. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests, always be alert. Always keep on praying. So there is this commission that we are to stand firm in the faith. And then number three, we are to remind ourselves as we are sharing the gospel with those that disagree with us, that the sexual sins, they are complicated. There's no doubt about it, but it's not a gray area. God's word is very clear. And then number four, this is where we left off yesterday. Transformation isn't up to me, but change is possible. I want you to know there are things in my life that I thought I could never change. You know, by nature, I am a shy person. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, uh, I would flunk classes because I wouldn't do an oral presentation. Uh, That's how shy I was. Uh, When I was growing up, I had difficulty speaking, and I had to go to a special class. Well, I I thought I was a special kid because uh, they would release me from class, and I'd go outside, and, and there was a trailer outside. And, uh, and, and my teacher, uh, she kind of lied to me, right? She said that, that the special kids go into that special trailer for some special teaching. Well, you know, that was a speech class that I was going to because I couldn't pronounce a lot of letters. So I would go to this class, and it was my next-door neighbor who happened to be my teacher, and she would invest hour after hour after hour teaching me how to speak. I couldn't pronounce the word L, for example. And now I'm real strong in pronouncing the word L, all because I did these crazy exercises using words that begin with the letter L and going over and over and over again. I never thought I'd get over my speech impediment or my ability not to communicate clearly, but God transformed me. It wasn't up to me. Uh, Change is possible. In Isaiah 55, Isaiah the prophet gives this meaningful understanding of where change comes from. Now, part of this passage you're very familiar with, but let me set the context, okay? Beginning of verse number 10, Isaiah says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So so Isaiah said, you know, the rain comes down, uh, the snow comes down, 
it comes out with a purpose, right? It's called the water cycle. It has a purpose. It doesn't evaporate back up to the sky without fulfilling its purpose. And its purpose is to water the earth, to make flowers flourish, and to give water to the seeds for the sower and bread for the eater. In other words, rain produces all this. And then he says, so is my word. It goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and what I achieve, the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy. You'll be led in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. So look at that verse number 11. The word that goes out from my mouth, that's the word of God, it's not going to return empty. It's going to accomplish what God desires. It's going to achieve that purpose. What is the purpose of the word of God? The purpose of the word of God. If you look at the big picture of what the Bible is all about, the Bible is all about God's story of redemption. The Bible talks about how we fell into sin and what were the consequences of sin and what God did to rescue us from our sins. And he gives us the word of God to convict us of our sins. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. It's not going to return empty. It will accomplish what God desires for it to accomplish. You see, the Bible even tells us that in our hearts, as we honor Christ as the Lord, we should always be prepared to make a defense to anybody who asks for a reason of the hope that is within us. But we're to do it with gentleness and with respect. And so as we share the gospel with people, our conversation is always to be filled with grace, seasoned with salt, so that they may know how to answer everyone. And so God's word is able to bring about transformation. Maybe you have tried year after year after year to get set free, and it doesn't matter what your sin is. I want you to claim a verse, a passage of scripture that will help you to be set free. You know, for a long time, I battled anxiety, and I couldn't get past it. And I struggled with it, and I struggled with it, and I struggled with it. And I said, what in the world am I going to do, right? And somebody says, well, just uh, don't think anxious thoughts. And uh, I said, well, that's great. Uh, The more I try not to think about anxiety, the more anxious I became. And then I began to study God's Word. And I began to look at the book of Philippians, and I began to look at Philippians chapter 4. And I see there that Paul gives us a wonderful recipe, gives us the antidote for anxiety. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, well, I, I got that part, right? Uh, great, Paul. Uh, if, if it just stopped there, uh, that would not be very helpful, right? Just giving us the command not to be anxious. I can't help myself. I'm anxious, right? You ever been there? Don't be anxious about anything, but instead, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Do you see what Paul is telling us? When you're feeling overwhelmed, pray. Lord, I am feeling overwhelmed. I am feeling filled with anxiety right now. It is overtaking my life. I need your help, Lord. Pray. Lord, would you help me through this burden? There's something about the power of prayer. I have learned as I get older, I need to pray more often. And uh, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day. I said, you know, the older I get, in some ways, the more things I have to be anxious about. Our family is ever expanding. 
And I got thinking about it. I said, man, you know, a year and a half ago, I didn't have any grandchildren to be anxious about or to worry about. And I said, now I got two grandchildren to be worried about. And then I've got a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law that I have to be anxious about. I said, don't be anxious about anything. Pray. You know, every day I pray for my family. Every day I pray for my son and his wife, and I pray for uh, my other son that has autism. I pray for my son who's in the Coast Guard. I pray for my other son who's still living at home with us. I pray for my daughter, and I pray for her husband. I pray for my grandson, James, and now I pray for my granddaughter, Josie, and I pray for them every single day. I pray for my wife every single day. I pray with my wife every single day. And so when we think about the power of prayer, when you're filled with anxiety, pray and get people praying for you. You know, in just a few weeks, I'll be taking a trip to Costa Rica. We have a missionary down there. We're going to be spending a week or so down there with our missionary doing vacation Bible school and children's ministry. And, and you know what I'm going to do? Because I am anxious about flying. I, I hate getting into those planes, and, and I battle claustrophobia. What am I going to do? I'm going to get 25 people to pray for me. Uh, we're going to make little prayer cards and I'm going to get 25 people praying for me when I get in that plane. And when I get in that plane to come home, uh, I'm going to have them pray for me, right? Because Lord knows I despise flying. And uh, it's not crashing that uh, I'm concerned about. It's being stuck in, in that tube uh, that is flying through the air at 30,000 feet above the planet. So pray. But it doesn't stop there. He says, pray with thanksgiving. Giving thanks. What does that mean? I'm to give thanks even before my prayer is answered for the answer to that prayer. So, Lord, I battle anxiety. Would you help me not to be anxious? I am going to give thanks to you right now in advance for the fact that you're going to set me free from this time of anxiety. And then you are to pray with supplications, prayers and supplications. Supplication is, Lord, I need a supply. When you deliver me from anxiety, I thank you for that. What are you going to fill me with? Fill me with your peace. That peace that transcends all understanding. That is a peace that is only made available to those who are walking in the Spirit. Those who have the Spirit of God living within them. Because Jesus talked about that peace, and he says, This is not the peace that the world gives you. Let not your hearts be troubled. He says, the peace that I give you is the peace of my presence. It's the Spirit of God living within me that gives me that peace that transcends all understanding. That means I can be at peace even though it doesn't make sense to be at peace. Even though I'm in the midst of chaos, I can be at peace because the Spirit of God is living within me. Now, it doesn't even stop there. In Philippians chapter 4, it reminds us how we should think. Think on things that are true, things that are noble, things that are of good report, things that are praiseworthy. Think on these things. Verse 19 says that my God is going to supply all of your needs. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So when we're sharing our faith, we must remember transformation is not up to me, but change is possible through the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In your hearts, honor Christ. Honor Him, realizing that He will bring that change to you. Well, we've got one final point to cover. We've talked about the fact that when we're sharing the gospel with those who disagree with us, remind them 
They're created in God's image. Remind yourself, number two, to stand firm in the faith. And number three, remember that sexual sins, they are complicated, but it's really not a gray area. Number four, transformation. It's not up to me. It's up to Christ. And the Word of God brings about a change. And then number five, now proclaiming Christ, even when it's done in love, is countercultural. I want to look at two passages of Scripture. John chapter 4 is the first one. Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well. Now, you know this passage, so I'm going to kind of just highlight the points that Jesus is making here. As he's speaking to the woman at the well, this is a countercultural engagement. The Samaritans disliked the Jews, and the Jews disliked the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans, they were really a mixture, right? They were corrupted spiritually because the Samaritans were Jews, Israelites, who married pagan foreigners. And they actually created a religion for themselves that the Jews considered heresy. Now, if you ever had the chance to go up to the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., they have a whole segment there on the Samaritans and gives you a deeper understanding of what they believed and why there was such a conflict. Now, the Samaritans established their center of worship at the temple on the Mount of Gerizim. They were claiming that they were from Moses, and that's where Moses had originally intended the Israelites to worship. So they had their own unique version of the five books written by Moses, the five books called the Pentateuch. But they rejected the writings of the prophets, and they rejected, for the most part, the Jewish traditions. So the Samaritans saw themselves as the true descendants of Israel. They felt like they were the preservers of the true religion, especially while considering worship. And so they would consider Jewish temple worship and the Levitical priesthood all as illegitimate. So when Jesus returns to rebuild the temple, they were opposed by the Samaritans. Now, this led to a lot of conflict between the two sects and a lot of opposition between the two sects. To the Jews, a Samaritan was more revolting than a Gentile because the Samaritans were half-breeds who defiled the true religion. So, when we get back to John chapter 4, Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. He's going out of his way to visit somebody who is counter to his culture. And then he encounters this Samaritan woman at the well. Verse number seven, he spoke with the Samaritan and said, give me a drink. Verse number nine, she's surprised. And notice what she says. She says, Jews refuse to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She brought that up, right? She said, wait a minute, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You Jews have nothing to do with us. Now, the counterculture aspect of it is this. You may encounter this as you share the gospel with somebody who is living a lifestyle contrary to what we believe biblical morality is. They may say, wait a minute, you Christians refuse to have anything to do with us. You are breaking through your culture to associate with us. Look what verse 10 happens to say. Jesus says, you know, as I ask you for this water to drink, her response is, well, we don't have a rope, we don't have a bucket, the well's deep, how are we going to get this water? And then Jesus says in verse number 10, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, and who you're speaking to. 
you would ask me and I would give you living water. You see, she's bringing the subject up of physical water. First of all, we're not supposed to be talking to one another because we're culturally different, right? And we don't have a way of getting this water. And so Jesus gets it off of the physical water. Physical water is temporary. Sexual immorality is a temporary satisfaction. You will continue to thirst. But then Jesus says, verse number 14, but those who drink the water that I give them will never thirst again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So this is what Jesus is trying to teach this woman at the well. Trying to teach her that she has this satisfaction that cannot be satisfied. It's not a physical satisfaction. It's a spiritual satisfaction that she needs. Physical water can physically provide temporary satisfaction. Sexual immorality can provide a temporary satisfaction. But if you want long-lasting satisfaction, you must drink of the everlasting water. And now, as you look at the rest of the story, Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes a little deeper into teaching there about her and her marital situation. But it goes back to the fact that her satisfaction is never going to be found in multiple partners or sexual immorality. Her satisfaction is always going to be found in that living water, which is Christ himself. There's another passage I want to look at. So we looked at the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus also, in Luke 19, goes counterculture in establishing a relationship with a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Uh, He was a short man, but he was a wealthy man. Now, you may remember the story as if you grew up in the church and and went to children's church, uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he? He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Lord came by, he says, Zacchaeus, you come on down, for I'm going to your house today. Now, uh, we love that song. We love that story of Luke chapter 19. But this was a major counterculture engagement. Jesus, as a Jew, looked at tax collectors from a Jewish perspective as they were like the Gentiles. They were the cast off of the society. But Jesus comes to him. And when Jesus goes to him, Luke 19, verse number 6, it says that the people were displeased. And it says, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They all began grumbling. But we learned that Zacchaeus, unbelievably, was transformed. He was transformed not on his own power, but by the power of Jesus Christ. His life was changed, and we know that his life was changed. Luke 19.8 says that Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor. He said, if I have cheated anybody, I'm going to give back four times as much. And Jesus says in verse number nine, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Oh, my friend, are you truly born again? And if not, why not make today your day of salvation? 
In John chapter 3, Jesus says, you know, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, born right the first time. But I want you to know that the first time we were born, we were born in the image of God, but we were also born in sin. Marvel not, Jesus says, don't be surprised. You must be born again. So today, as you listen to this broadcast, if you've never been born again, all you got to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that your sins have separated you from God, but Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. He died on that cross. He was buried in that tomb, but three days later, he rose again. If you believe that, you can receive this free gift of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Listen, if I can help you with this, please shoot me a text, 252-267-2365, or give me a call. I would be honored to pray for you, to teach you more about God's Word and beginning this new journey with Christ. 252-267-2365. And then get into a good Bible-believing church so that you can grow in your faith. Why don't you come out to Hickory Ridge Community Church this Sunday? We're at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia, 9 o'clock or 1045. Would love to see you this Sunday. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. I'm praying for you, and I hope to see you real soon. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.